Well, this is Sergeant Greg Rader, formerly of 82nd MP Company, 82nd Airborne Division, God's Country, and uh, we're listening to today's Boondoggle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to, uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our BitChute channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors. If you uh, support our sponsor, Dream Nutrition, you can receive 10% off your order by using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. So Dream Nutrition, they're a veteran-owned and operated company as well, so please support them and receive 10% off using the promo code BOONDOG10. Thanks for your time, and thanks for listening. going on everybody it's bill bailey with today's boondoggle and uh real quick housekeeping note if uh you are watching us on youtube um which i think it just got allowed back on after another time out from them but uh if you are watching us on youtube please hit that subscribe follow button and if you're watching us on rumble and i'm going to start pushing the bitshoot channel now too because of the issues i've been having with youtube so follow us on bitshoot rumble and uh youtube for now and then also if uh you're listening to us on whatever podcast platform you use spotify itunes apple podcasts google all that stuff uh hit it you know hit the follow and subscribe button on there too really appreciate your support 
uh, so we can continue to bring you the kind of conversations I'm about to have with uh, catching up with old friend, Mr. Kevin Moore. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Good, good. Um, so yeah, we, you know, I mean, go back to kind of like, I think we like, a, like officially started like talking at one of Paul's 4th of July parties. Yes. You know, and then we realized we had the, the, the military connection and stuff. So, um, and then, um, you know, well, usually when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to get a little bit of a background. I mean, I followed your story on social media and, you know, um, I love what you do with vans and everything. And I want to get into all that, but when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to get a quick background. So do you remember originally what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> well, I wanted to be an artist. I thought that would actually an art teacher. I thought that would be an awesome job because I, uh, I loved and adored my art teachers all through school and uh, I'm still friends with my high school art teachers to this day. Um, right. I'm really glad I didn't go that route because my, uh, my wife is a, our teacher and what I see her going through at her job, I'm, I don't, I don't think I would have lasted too long putting up with the, with what teachers have to do these days. So it's kind of fortunate that the, I went down a different path. Yeah. Yeah. And then do you remember when, uh, when it was uh, that you kind of felt the, the calling to serve your country? Oh, the calling came when um, I asked my dad uh, what we, uh, what we had in the bank account for my college fund. And he said he had just pumped it all into the gas tank of the station wagon. So I was going to go be staying with my uncle Sam. <laughs> it's a kind of a running joke. Although I always, I always knew I was going to end up, uh, end up going into the military. My, both my grandfather served, my dad served. I, you know, we were, we're a pretty uh, pro military family. And um, one of the, I was, I was air force. And uh, fortunately when I went in, they, they had uh, some programs that I was really interested in. So it worked out well. Yeah, you were telling me you sent me a little bit about like uh, you know, what you originally wa wanted to go into, and then how kind of how you know Uncle Sam works. It's it's you know the needs of the of the military, yeah. um, but uh, like what was it? Uh, you know, um, what was it originally again that you were you were looking for doing, and I, then I went in with a guaranteed job for graphic artist. And after finishing a basic training and everybody was getting their orders, they called me down to CQ and said, um, uh, hey, we have a breach of contract. Uh, your job has been civilian contracted while you were in training. And so your tech school doesn't exist anymore. So let's see if we can find you something else. And um, it was kind of funny, but uh, uh, they, had, they, brought down a, uh, they brought down a captain who was a, a pilot and he was on a flight crew. And uh, he, I had some really, really good scores with my eyesight. And so he, uh, he sat, sat me down and said he wanted me to go through a class for flight physical. Mind you, I'm a little foggy on a lot of this because this was 30 plus years ago. And so he, uh, he, sends me to, uh, he sends me to go get this physical. And I, go, I come back and they're like, wow, you've got like superhuman depth perception and all these really good things with your eyes. I still, to this day, like I've got really good good eyesight and barely ever, uh, I barely have any issues. So he goes, uh, he goes, we want you to be a B-52 aerial gunner. <laughs> I was like, man, there's, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't like heights. <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I want to do is go, is go up in a plane, let alone, uh, let alone uh, uh, sit in a, in a bubble uh, shooting a machine gun. And so 
I was kind of like, yeah, that isn't really for me. And the dude like was like, but you get wings and you get the cool code and everything else. And I, uh, <laughs> I ended up, uh, I ended up bailing on, uh, on that idea. And he was, uh, he was really disappointed. Like, it was like one of those forks in the road. It could have been interesting. I just, I just wasn't, uh, I just wasn't interested in, uh, in going up in planes. So I ended up uh, being an air traffic controller in tech school. And towards the end, I, really hated it and my teacher and I were, were pretty cool with each other and she uh, she offered to uh, wash me into something else and so she did and I ended up becoming a plumber and that's yeah. what I did when I was in the military. Yeah I'd say you know a, a gunner is a not quite a leap from graphic designer you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean it's not like I don't like shooting things and everything else I was just yeah, there was this one, on uh, the ground, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There was this one uh, Steven, I think it was Steven Spielberg had a show on TV in the in the 80s before oh, I Oh, the amazing stories. Amazing stories, yeah. And there was one where there was a cartoonist and that was me. I was always drawing cartoons. Got got welded into the bottom of a, a bottom of a bomber and he was stuck down there and they had to land the plane with no landing gear and so they were all like, "Oh man, this dude's doomed because his whole flight crew survived all these attacks." But he was stuck down there and they were like all freaking out. And then at the very end, like cartoon wheels popped out of the bottom of the plane and he ended up like living and all that. And I was just like that. I just remember that episode totally blowing me away right before yeah. going into the Air Force. And then the first thing they turn around and do is tell me they want me to do that. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know if the I ain't, I ain't feeling it. <laughs> gonna come out. <laughs> so during your, your time uh, in. Um, like, I mean, with all the switching around and everything, but I mean, after you kind of got like established for a little bit, like what was some of the oddest things you experienced in the military? Oddest things. Um, well, I was in, uh, I was in the base emergency engineering force, uh, prime beef as, as, as a, you know, when you're, when you're in a civil engineering squadron, they, uh, they basically train you how to fight and then drop you into a place to set up and build bases. And, you know, as a plumber, you get the illustrious job of setting up field showers and digging urinal pits. So uh, we, I was stationed at McGuire in New Jersey, and we were right next to Fort Dix. And like for three, four, sometimes five weeks at a time, they would send us to the bivouacs next door. And they would just let the rangers beat the daylights out of us and shoot us and you know, with the miles gear and all that kind of stuff. But um, it, it was just kind of like, oh, wow, it's like laser tag. This is really cool. Only they're actually allowed to really pummel you when they get their hands on you so it was a lot of fun learned a lot of uh learned a lot of interesting stuff <laughs> i never expected that in the air force but it was actually uh it's actually quite an experience learned to learn a lot nice nice so similar to like the the marines and the navy's relationship the army and the air force oh yeah definitely yeah you lot together and then what what would you say during your time in was like one of the uh worst places that you'd say you served at Hmm. I would say, uh, I just, I, I just, I'm not a fan of New Jersey. <laughs> I can't stand that place. <laughs> it was really sad. I had a, um, I was, I was going to go home and, and get married like an idiot when I was 18 and I was given my orders and my orders were actually for Hickam in, uh, Air Force Base in Hawaii. Yeah. And my soon to be wife, was so upset because it was so far away and she was worried she was going to miss her family that I traded my orders for Hawaii for New Jersey. 
with a uh, guy in my class who um, was from New Jersey and was like, please let me go anywhere but New Jersey. And so big, huge, huge, huge mistake. I ended up going to New Jersey by choice and then finding out, yeah, I was not a huge fan of the f- folks in uh, the folks in New Jersey. <laughs> Ohioans are way friendlier. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the things we do when we're young and in the military, think I got to get married. I got to have somebody, you know, I got to. Mm-hmm. Either, either to live off base or to, you know, whatever the benefits are that comes with it or just because we're lonely. Man, I, I'm glad I avoided a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't so uh, wasn't so sharp. I mean, I was married for 14 years. I got two great daughters out of the deal. But, uh, oof, yeah, that wasn't the that wasn't the brightest thing to do at the time. Now, have you ever made it to Hawaii, though? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely. I've actually visited the base been to Hawaii and then kicked myself all over again. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I could have been here in this paradise and I chose to go to New Jersey. So yeah, probably one of the dumbest moves I've ever made. <laughs> and then what would, where would you say is one of the best places that you got to serve at? I was in Biloxi for a while and I absolutely loved uh, Keesler Air Force Base. It was, the people were really friendly. It was a really, uh, really nice place to be, uh, uh, to be stationed. I, I really enjoyed it there. I like warmer weather too. So not a big fan of Cleveland weather. No. Oh, yeah. Me neither, man. My sinuses are already acting <laughs> up from the weather change we just had. I mean, we knew it was coming, but it was just like, ah, uh, Oh yeah. It it's inevitable. It's not like uh, it's ever going to change, but it's just, uh, yeah, it's tough on your, tough on your body. When you're, when you're in Cleveland, you're getting older and all your joints start aching and you feel your arthritis going through the roof and yeah. Yeah, like I'm predicting the weather better yeah. than the weatherman, you know? Exactly. And then what would you say is, uh, like, what are your pet peeves that you had with civilians since transitioning out of the military? Hmm. Pet peeves. Um, uh, off the top of my head, uh, you know, I was, I was very fortunate, um, like the, during the time that I was in, things were pretty peaceful. Um, I had orders to go over to, uh, uh, to go to, they actually called me back in when Desert Storm popped off, but uh, I ended up not having to go. So I didn't really have like a, didn't really have a very tumultuous experience while I was in. So getting out, transitioning to civilian life was, was actually, you know, pretty easy. Um, you know, went out and got a VA loan for a house and, um, found jobs as a, as a plumber and sewer worker pretty easily. You know, it was, uh, really wasn't, uh, really wasn't too big a deal. I had, uh, I can't really say I had too many problems. I mean, other than the paperwork, I mean, I've just had to this, to this day, I am still arguing back and forth with the VA trying to get my medical records from some stuff that went on. And to this day, I'm still waiting. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta connect you with my guy then. I just coincidentally, I just last week went down and spoke with uh, one of the higher ups at the American Legion, and he's uh, he's going to try to help me get him. So, but you know the bureaucracy of every government thing. I mean, especially I mean, I retired from working from the government, and I'm sure used to the whole you know wheels of government turn very slowly thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was just kind of one of those things. Kind of, I guess if you're if you're asking, yeah, that was probably the one thing that I find the most aggravating. I guess is just the the bureaucracy and the slowness of. Uh, of getting anything handled. Yeah. And then, um, I mean, I guess like too, like, um, some of, 
some of what what is instilled in, a, in us during our time in that you know we don't think are you know i mean i guess we kind of learn not to sweat a lot of the the small stuff and uh you know one thing i've just noticed is that's dri driven me nuts is all the things that have everybody up in arms you know it seems like in our in our society today that i'm just like what are you what this is a big deal you know um especially because i mean we just had you know i mean the type of the brotherhood and relationships we had in the military and in, in, in you know um the bonds and stuff that we formed it was just like um it, it, we didn't see color we didn't see you know gender or whatever we all wore the same uniform and that was all that mattered so yeah um i don't know if you, you know if you've seen some of the you know sat back looking at the things going on and are like what shaking your head well, like any like any other, I guess any other situation like this, it's it is kind of funny to listen to people that that weren't in the military that are running, you know, that are in the media talking about it as if they know what's you know what it feels like or what it uh, you know what it should be, and yeah, the I, it's it's definitely misrepresented. That's for sure. Yeah, and then what is uh something you think feel you'll always carry with you from your time in the military? Hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, you know, one of the, I mean, there were, there was an awful lot of, as I'm sure anybody that's ever been in the military, you've always got fun memories and things like that. I've got, uh, I've still got, uh, uh, a really, uh, a couple of really good friends that, uh, that I met while I was in that I'm still good friends with to this day. And, um, you know, that, uh, I mean, that meant the world to me. And the funny thing is, is we can always uh, kind of look at each other and talk about certain things. And there's just sort of a something that you, you know, something that you know that you share with them that you're never going to be able to share with any other kind of friend, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wasn't like a big fan of, uh, you know, Facebook at first. And, well, I mean, I'm still kind of not like a huge fan of it. But, <laughs> you know, when I was finishing my final deployment, I remember like I was still like you know, I was doing the MySpace thing back in the day. I liked MySpace, you know? And mm -hmm. then uh, when I was finishing my final deployment, like a bunch of, you know, strangers that ended up becoming family, you know, from all across the country were like, dude, you got to get on Facebook so we can keep in touch. So, you know, I did it for that, those intentions. And, and, and it's funny, like you said, there's, you know, all of a sudden there's guys that when there was no social media around from my early days of my military career that I've been able to reconnect with and it's just like not missing a beat, you know, that brotherhood and stuff is still, still there, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a, you know, Facebook has its pros and cons, but that's definitely one thing that's uh that's great about it is being able to stay in touch with some folks that you wouldn't normally get to see on a regular. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, what's one of the funniest stories you feel you can share from your time in service? <laughs> um, that I can share. Say, I can think of a few that I can't. Um, the uh, well, I guess I could. I guess since I wasn't the one that did it, I can totally tell this one. Um, we were in uh, we were in field training over at Fort Dix with all the miles gear on, and um, we uh, we were in the middle of a you know a simulated firefight, and me and one of my good buddies were protecting a, a generator from uh from being taken over to keep the lights on on our base and the first sergeant of our squadron was just a 
he was just a bastard. He was just an awful guy. And he, he just, everybody hated him. And yeah, there was all kinds of, there was all kinds of uh, uh, stuff going on. And, and there was, you could hear you know gunfire everywhere. And my buddy was like, Hey, there's Sergeant Collier. And he literally shot him. <laughs> <laughs> set off his gear and the EET team came and put him in the dead tent for, for a while. And, and, and I was just like, dude, but because there was so much stuff going on, you know, it was just a training exercise, but I was like, Oh my gosh, man. It was like, so yeah, that I probably shouldn't even be able to tell you that story, but it was pretty, it was just, it was just funny at the time. So like simulated uh, uh friendly fire there. Huh? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I, and I, and the funny thing was, there was a whole bunch of other guys that were talking about doing the same thing. <laughs> they were like, it was just, uh, yeah, he wasn't a very popular guy. I think he got into a bit of trouble towards the end, so it wasn't, uh, wasn't a big surprise. <laughs> nice. And then, um, what's like one of the greatest hopes that you have for the country that you'd been willing to give your life for? Hmm. Well. I certainly hope, uh, I certainly hope we can keep, uh, you know, for, from a military point of view, I certainly hope we can keep our military strong and stave off any, uh, any kind of conflict whatsoever. You know, I believe in peace through strength and it's definitely, uh, definitely something we've, we've always tried to, tried to do. And I hope they can continue to, um, you know, one nice, one nice thing I, I see, uh, like last night I went to that, uh, that, uh, Joe Walsh, James Gang concert down in Columbus that uh, he put on oh, for nice. the vets. I, yeah. I got to tell you, that was. That I was, was supposed a, to go to that. I'm bummed I didn't make it. Oh, it was it was it was darn near magical. There were so many people there that were just they were they were everyone. It was like fifteen thousand people, and everyone was just super cool. And it was Nine Inch Nails, the Black Keys, the Breeders, and and uh, uh, and he did the James Gang stuff. He did his solo stuff. He played with Dave Grohl. It was just an awesome show. But there was so much, uh, they were bringing out his, uh, Joe Walsh's son, and he had brought out six different veterans, ones that needed um, service dogs, ones that were disabled, and they were basically letting them speak in between, in between each show, kind of, show, you know, you know, while they were setting up the stage, talking about, you know, where the money that they were raising, the different uh, uh, organizations that they, uh, uh, that they were, uh, uh, you know, they're giving the money to. And, you know, it was, it was very touching listening to everybody's stories. It was cool to see that they were raising all this money for Ohio vets. But what was really cool was uh, that the concert shirts for the event were super expensive. And I bet halfway through, they came out and said, yeah, we're practically out of merch. Like, that's how strong the support was there. So it was, uh, it was, it was really good to see. You know, it was uh, kind of cool that there's so much support for veterans. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, when I read that, that thing too. I was just like, man, that's really cool. Joe Walsh to, you know, get by. And I guess he does this thing annually, but mm -hmm. this was like the first year that it was like all like Ohio based, basically right. bands, you know, that were from, from Ohio, which I thought was amazing too, you know? Yeah. And it was, a, it was a really good show. I mean, you know, like with, with my, uh, with my art and my band, we've done, you know, charity events for, for veterans things all the time, and you know, wounded warriors and, and things like that. But uh, never, never seen anything like this. It was really cool to see such big bands come out and, and put on a, put on an amazing show. It was really, really good time. Nice. And then like, were a lot of the, the musicians like, kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. saying nice things about the vets and everything too. Yep. Absolutely. 
And especially yeah. Joe Walsh. He had, uh, I, I wasn't aware of it. You know, I've always been a fan of the James gang and I've seen Joe Walsh before in concert, but um, he kind of came out and they had like, you know, videos and stuff like that showing everything. But he was a, uh, before they had gold star families, he was a, he lost his dad in active duty when he was like a little over one year old and uh, back in like 1949. So he sat there and like told that whole story. And it was, and he was, uh, they were showing video of him telling the story with a bunch of um, uh, much older veterans sitting around him. And uh, yeah, it was just a really touching evening all the way around. So he grew up, so he grew up without a, without a dad and, you know, basically, you know, told the whole story about what that was like, but he was saying, you know, when he first started playing music that, you know, that was what really mattered to him was like, he was like, you know, if my dad was still around, I'd be making him proud. And it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, I wish I could have made it down there, man. But uh, things just didn't work out. I'll be going down there today, actually. Oh, yeah. Columbus today for uh, Five Finger Death Punch because we're friends with uh, with that band and and my daughters actually love them. So so me and my girls are going to make the trip down there today. But we would have made a weekend of it if we would have got were able to get set up last night, you know, but I don't know. I was like, when I went online, it looked like those tickets were pretty expensive, man. Um, we got really, really good seats and nobody standing in front of us. So we got to sit through the whole show and enjoy it. And it was like 75 bucks a ticket. And, oh, the, show really? was, and the show was over five hours long. Like, and it flew by because it was really, it was really you know, like a good energetic show. And like each band put on like a full set. But um, so, yeah, it was like over five hours. But yeah, the tickets were only 75 bucks. Oh man. So yeah, when I went on, I don't know what I was looking at. I must not have, I got to learn how to tweak the uh, live nation app or Ticketmaster app or something, because it was like, I was seeing like $500 tickets oh, and stuff. And I, I was like, all right, man. It's like, I, I really want to that much to see anybody. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I got to take out a VA loan just so I can go support the vet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It sounds like, uh, it sounds like somebody was uh, scalping there. Cause yeah. Yeah. My wife bought the tickets and they were yeah, 75 bucks. Oh man. All right. I wish I would have dug deeper, but oh well. Catch it next heck time. Of a, heck of a show for uh you know for that kind of money. I mean, I think people were paying more this summer to see nine inch nails that, you know at Blossom, yeah. Awesome, yeah. Like quite a bit. Yeah, I, I remember they were thinking of going and then uh, the stick the tickets sold out pretty quick. But uh but those tickets were those tickets were a lot of money. Yeah, I saw I remember seeing that too, and then I was like okay, well, is this like a carryover? I mean, I know it's for a good cause, but man, it's, you know, I don't know, but I guess I, I must have not like filtered the, you know, the price thing down or whatever, because it looked I like, will, I mean, it even looked like nosebleeds were like a couple hundred bucks. So. Oh, wow. And it, it was absolutely packed. Like if there was barely, barely any empty seats, it was, it was really full. Nice. So, I mean, and nine inch nails and everybody put like a full set on and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was really good. I, my eyes are still flickering from the Nine Inch Nails part. The light show was pretty, uh, was pretty wild. <laughs> they were really loud too. But uh, yeah, it was uh, every. It was kind of neat. They had just an army of of roadies up there. Every time a band ended, they drug everything off, brought everything back on, like set up all these lights, all this different, and every one was different. And you knew it was going to get interesting when they they kept setting up two drum uh, two drum sets and they would do a song or two and Dave Grohl would would come in and and play drums with them and that was that was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like. And then what do you feel we can do about the uh, 
to break the stigma of mental health and PTSD? Well, I, uh, I get to listen to, I get to listen to this from a pretty good source on a regular basis. My, my oldest daughter, that's what she does for a living. She's been in the air force now, 11, 12 years. And, um, she counsels, uh, soldiers from all four branches with, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, anger management, and drug and alcohol abuse. And that's what she's been doing since she first went in. Um, I was, I couldn't be prouder. I've got two military daughters, but my, uh, my oldest, that's, that's literally what she does for a living every day. So it's really, I, I, I'm sure there's always people that are, that are going to slip through the cracks or not get caught in the net, but there, it's good to see that there's, um, there's so much more emphasis being put on the mental health of our, of our, uh, soldiers and our veterans now than, than, than ever before. I've got some friends that are much older than me that, uh, came out of Vietnam and just, just have the absolute worst, worst stories. And one of them came out and actually did some, uh, did some bad drugs and stabbed a woman and went to prison for a long time right after he got out. And then I ended up working with him for years after he got out of the, out of the out of prison. And, and I used to work with him you know, quite a bit and, you know, he would tell me his stories and it would just bring tears to your eyes. You know, there's people that are going through so much. And you know, just when my daughter tells me stories about some of the things that she hears from guys at work um, that she, that she's counseling, uh, it just, it breaks my heart, but they're so, they're so they're, they're at least the military is is putting so much into getting everybody better as best they can and i mean she she started off doing you know outpatient um uh veterans with uh, ptsd and 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 in, and in an active duty ones and now she's she's actually um she actually counsels ones that are in a facility like they they don't go home they're they're in such rough shape that they are in a facility and she's, she's done wonders with them. And, you know, when I hear her stories, I kind of get you know, a little bit of behind the scenes on how, on how things are going. But, uh, you know, compared to, you know, when you and I were in and definitely the folks older than us, it seems like there's a lot more, there's a lot more emphasis on, on helping them. And I'm excited. It's never going to be perfect and I'm sure they could do more, but it's cool to see that it's going in that it's getting in a better direction. And like I said, my, my daughter does it for a living for our military. And, you know, the, so the stories that she tells me about work, I don't know how she does it because it just brings tears to my eyes. Just listen to her talk about her work day. But there are a whole bunch of people like her that are committed to doing that. And uh, it's hopefully, as, you know, to your question, hopefully it's getting better because they, they are working on it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely noticed the, and like you said, I mean, there, there's still more that, that can be done, but there's so much, they're doing so much more than they originally did. I mean, my, I was raised by a World War II Marine, you know, and he was in the invasion of Okinawa. So I grew up around PTSD and, uh, you know, thinking, you know, some days walking on eggshells, you know, like, what did I, what did I, what did I do wrong? What's going to set dad off, you know, today, not getting it and then having a lot of resentments growing up because I didn't understand it until I, you know, I had to go get it myself, you know, and they're like, all right, I get it now, dad. And then I could, you know, forgive him and have like a better relationship with him before he passed and everything. But, uh, but yeah, they had nothing for, for them, 
You know, it was just like go home and go to work and bottle yeah. it up, forget about it, move on to the next thing. You know. Yep. Well, I'm glad it, that they're doing so much more, and I know I've I've had some good experiences at the VA in, in mental health. I've had some bad ones, but you know, I've I you know I understand that we could we could hire and fire our therapists. You know, mm-hmm. we're not stuck. You know. Um, but then there's the other problem that I I've noticed I've run into there is like when you finally find that one and you open up and you start building that relationship, all of a sudden the, the, the doors revolving with them too, you know, they're they're either getting burnout and and leaving or, you know, they're transferring to a different location and it's just like, then you got to start all over again. So I found the majority of my help outside of the VA, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they have definitely come a long way. Well, so, exactly. I'm sure it's not perfect, but it's it's just good to see that they're good to see that they're trying. Yeah, which yeah, is a whole exactly. lot more than they were doing in previous generations. Yeah, exactly. And then, um, you know, we were just talk, talking about that concert and everything, and I know you know uh, you've been a big fan of music, um, and and play yourself. But when did uh, do you remember like uh? you know, some of your earliest experiences to music and what attracted you to it? To music? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you're going to laugh, but um, I think it would definitely be my my first concert was at the Front Row Theater, and it was Shanana, and I was in the fourth grade. Nice. I, got to meet, I got to meet the band and and, uh, and meet Bowser after the Bowser. show. Bowser, I kind of, I kind of had the itch ever since. I always wanted to be the bass man, but my voice was never low enough to to sing that low. But uh, but I ended up playing bass, and you know, it's been been a been a lot of fun playing with playing music all these years. Nice, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, so you saw Shauna Na that kind of attracted you to music. <laughs> but uh, like, when did you uh, decide to start like picking up a instrument and playing? Well. I really didn't pick up an instrument until I was in my uh, like mid to late twenties. I was like busy with, I mean, my, my first passion is, is building hot rods and classic cars. And so like from when I was a, you know, from when I was 14 on, I've always had a car or two or three and I'm always working on them. And so that pretty much monopolized all of my time. Um, it wasn't until uh, I started having kids that, uh, you know, you get a lot of downtime as a parent when they're little where you're, you know, where they're, you're just keeping an eye on them and, and they're just hanging out in the room. And rather than stick them in front of the TV, I was, uh, I, would, I bought an upright bass and restored it. And I was just, I would just uh, put in a cassette and play along to the music. And my daughters always enjoyed that. So it was kind of like, uh, kind of like a fun way to watch your kids. And then I just started playing with some friends and one thing led to another and, but uh, yeah, I didn't do it when I was a kid. I I actually didn't pick it up until I was in my twenties. That's cool, man. That's a cool story because, like, you know, so many of us just put them in front of the screen and let the let the let the screen watch them, you know. And uh, yep. you you stayed interactive, and you know, you're like, okay, you know, I'm I'm not I can't. They're too little for me to bring out to the garage right now and work on cars <laughs> and keep an eye on them. So let me do something uh, interactive with them that keeps. Yeah, kind of keeps your hands busy and everything too. So that's yep, that's a cool story. And then you know you got together with some friends and started playing. Uh, like, when did you guys like put any bands together and start playing out? Hmm. 
Um, maybe 15, 18 years ago, um, we were, we were going over to a friend of ours house and, uh, and jamming with him and he had like recording equipment. So we were basically writing a song every night and everybody was just kind of throwing something together. And by the time it was done, we were having fun. And my wife used to sing in a bunch of Cleveland bands. So she's got a really good voice. And so we needed a, we needed somebody else to sing because I couldn't sing all the songs and play at the same time. Cause I'm a lousy bass player and I can't sing and play at the same time unless it's like super simple. And so uh, I brought her in and next thing you know, we had started the, we kind of started a band and we played out for a few years and we were having a lot of fun. And then we decided to go a different direction. So four of us, the two married couples in the band, we, uh, we broke away and started 45 spider and we've, uh, we've been playing for uh, maybe 10, 12 years now. So you guys still get together and play occasionally? Well, we were, we were playing pretty regular until, uh, until COVID popped off. And then, uh, uh, they, uh, you know, uh, you know how that went for live music and yeah. so uh we took a we took a hiatus but uh we've got um uh, we've been we've been practicing pretty hard and heavy for the last few months we're working in a, another guitarist so we've got two guitar players now which we've never done before and um we're getting ready to actually start playing out again oh nice and then um you know um speaking of like covid and how how that affected you i know you were also uh uh, a business owner for a while too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I guess you're still, you know, run your own business out of your house now, but I mean, when, when you went into, after you retired from like, uh, working with the sewer department and stuff, mm-hmm. you kind of went into business for yourself. You want to talk a little bit about that experience? Um, yeah, sure. I guess it, uh, uh, I retired, I retired from the city of Twinsburg. I ran their sewer maintenance department and, um, I, uh, was still young and, always had a passion for cocktails. And so I uh, opened up uh, the Moonglow Lounge in Northfield Center. And it was a kind of like a speakeasy cocktail lounge. And we were doing great until uh, our governor shut everybody down. And that pretty much did us in. I mean, I I tried to stay open with their rules and their regs, but I didn't have a kitchen. So there was no food to go. And they were shutting everybody down at 10 o'clock for almost a year. So and I was a late night joint. So it just basically decimated my business. So um, uh, I said I'd never start another business where the one idiot in the state house could destroy my life with a swipe of a pen. So I just opened up a, um, as an artist, I, I do a lot of wood carving and I carve tiki's and stuff like that. And, and so I uh, built another building on my property and I've got another, I've got another shop out there and I just basically go out and carve wood. Yeah. A lot of orders and specials. Like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's all commission work. So it's kind of nice or plenty of work to do, but, um, yeah, I've just kind of been doing that since I'm kind of semi-retired, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, bef- what like kind of like attracted the theme of the, uh, of the, uh, the Tiki bar for you? Was it, was it those orders to Hawaii you never really got to? <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much. It was, uh. Like our, our our logo for the Moonglow Lounge was actually a, a werewolf that looks like Robert Mitchum, and uh, it was that was Mr. Moonglow, and so we had uh, um, it was kind of it was just like a it was just a classy it was like a classic uh, cocktail lounge, but we did have a few uh, tiki you know tiki drinks on the uh, on the menu, but I've been okay. carving tiki's I've been carving tiki's for for much much longer. The um uh, my 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 grandfather on my mother's side 
uh, he was stationed during World War II in the South Pacific, and he became enamored with the with the culture there. And when he came back, uh, he actually retired from American Greetings, but he was a very uh, he was a very good artist and really good wood, really accomplished woodcarver. And um, I, so growing up, you know, for, ever since I can remember, I was always hanging around with him in his wood shop and learning from him. And so when I got old enough to old enough to start doing it myself, I've been, I've been carving that kind of stuff as well. So it kind of, kind of I kind of got the, the wood carving thing from my grandfather. Nice. And then um, now, you know, you, you say you've always kind of been uh, into hot rods and, and, and working on cars and stuff like that. Um, what was uh, something that originally attracted you towards that? Well, it's, I mean, my dad was a, my dad was a classic car guy. We've always had old cars. He was, he raced stock cars in upstate New York in his youth and um, was all, he always had old cars. So I grew up restoring cars with him from ever since I can remember. And, um, you know, he had, he had old cars all the way up until the day he passed last year. So, um, I definitely, you know, definitely got all my, my car stuff from him, but, um, you know, he was a, he was also a really good artist. So, you know, figure back in the seventies, he was doing airbrush art on vans and motorcycles and things like that, you know, murals and that and pinstriping. And so I got all that from him. So, you know, I, I picked up a brush and, and started pinstriping when I was a kid and been airbrushing since I was little. So it's just, you know, that all that, all that art stuff, I basically, you know, got from my, got from my father. Nice. You know, and that's then, why uh, I still like building cars to this day. And I did the same thing with my daughters and they're both pretty artistic and they both have really cool classic cars. So, you know, it's like they grew up, they grew up in the shop with me. So, I mean, they were, they've been pulling engines and, and, uh, uh, been painting cars with me since they were little kids. So, I mean, they're, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty comfortable around the garage. That's awesome, man. I love, uh, I, I love hearing the, the, you know, the stories originally when they were too little to go out to the garage. I mean, you're interacting with them playing bass and, um, you know, forming that bond with them there. And then they want to go out with dad and learn how to, to do that. That's, uh, with the cars when they're old enough, that's, that's awesome, man. I wish, uh, you know, go, I wish I could go back and I would have been more like, you know, hands-on, but, um, I was in a different state of mind back then, you know? Um, sure. But, uh, I wanted to talk also about, you know, one of the things that I've loved following, uh, your story with, because, you know, I've always kind of been like, a you know, grew up like, you know, watching a team and, you know, all the, the, uh, or like, you know, big fan of the Punisher and all the people that had like these badass vans and stuff <laughs> and, yeah. and see you rehabbing the vans. And, and I, I guess, so you, you've been doing the artwork on the van on the outside as well. Then I, oh, yeah. I've been following, uh, I think it's what, uh, green fuzz, your, yeah. your, your green fuzz van. You want to talk about like when vans kind of. <laughs> okay. Well, um, when I was a kid in the seventies, my, my mom and dad were, were vanners. And so in 1975, they went into the GMC dealer and bought a brand new van, proceeded to take it home and fully customize it. And they took me and my sister and went to van shows and van ends. And um, we were in that thing all summer long and we had lots of lots of fun with it. And it was all airbrushed up. My dad did like a real 
wild paint scheme on it. It was actually patriotically called the Spirit of 76 because he finished it in, in the bicentennial year in 76. So it was red, white, and blue, and it was it was airbrushed up really cool. Um, but uh, when I, you know, so I've always, uh, even though I've always had classic cars, I've always had at least like one van or one panel, something along that line so that I could run in that crowd as well. Because honestly, between the hot rod scene and the van scene, the vanners are much more fun. There's a lot more partying. There's a lot less drama. It's a, it's a lot, it's a, it's definitely like a more relaxed, fun atmosphere than the, than the hot rod scene, but I run in both. But, uh, I, um, I was always wanted to take and do a van where I got to just go crazy with all the seventies style airbrush techniques. And, um, so I, uh, I sold a, an old chopper that I had and took the money and I found a $1,500 stripped out short third or a, a second gen Ford that was from the West coast and had it shipped to my place. And me and my youngest daughter gutted it out. It had dead rats and dead mice in the back. It was like, it had this crazy old custom interior in it, but it was just roached from the sun and a lot of neglect. And so, uh, we started from a, from a bare shell and, uh, and, she helped me basically do all the body work and paint. And um, on every panel, I just did all the different techniques, everything from flames to freak dots, to lace work to endless lines and scallops, just, uh, just you know, went crazy on it. And it was all done and finished. It ended up being pretty cool looking. So it was, for the last five years, I've been, I've been uh, cruising that to a lot of van shows and stuff. And it's, uh, you know, makes people smile. Yeah, I love... Uh... You know, seeing the the pictures, I, I have to come out sometime and and see it in person, sometime to actually see all the all the work and everything you've done inside. But if you uh, you know, I've always kind of been like leaning more towards like, you know, well, my goal, you know, one of my dreams were too, like before uh before COVID came, was you know, because my youngest just graduated high school, was just like waiting for her to graduate, and then I was thinking about either, you know, selling my my place here and and just getting it an RV and living in an RV and traveling or mm. even just like refurb, you know, refurbing a nice van and, and traveling and being the guy that lives, you know, in a van down by the river or whatever. You know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's, it's got its pros and cons for sure. I took the, uh, I took the green fuzz all the way around the country uh, right after I closed down the, the cocktail lounge. And um, I, I, I spent a, I spent a good month uh, on the road, just bopping around from state to state visiting friends, visiting, uh, visit my daughter down in San Antonio. Um, I just, I, and so I kind of got to do, you know, just nonstop vanning for, for a good solid month. And, um, I tell you you meet, you meet all kinds of people. You get to see just how, how uh, amazing this country is because it changes so much, you know, from, from one place to the next. Yeah. And, uh, especially during COVID, it was pretty wild how you would just cross an imaginary line and everything was different you'd go from some states where you couldn't even walk into a bar without them contact tracing and taking down your name and your email address and your phone number and masks up to your, up to your eyebrows. And then you go into the next state and they're like, COVID what? Like <laughs> they you know, no signs on the doors, no, no plexiglass hanging from the ceilings. It was just like, it was just like a normal world. Like, it was just like, wow. And all you're doing is crossing an imaginary line as you're tooling around the country in a van. It was definitely definitely an, an interesting thing to try but um but yeah you get a van shoot you i always tell people get a van because it's, it's it's so much more fun 
and there's always, you know, room to sleep and room to take something home. If you find something neat somewhere that you want to buy, you know, that's like, you know, with a hot rod or a motorcycle, you know, a lot of times you can't exactly, you know, haul anything, but always, yeah, got, room exactly. in always got room to sleep in a van. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of music and I hit quite a bit of festivals and stuff, but it's always trying to find like lodging and stuff like that. And it's just like, Man, if I had a nice decked out van, I could just, I could still go to the festivals. I could just sleep in my van and, yep. you know, I'm used to the, you know, throw a little bit of water under the armpits for the day and, you know, be good <laughs> to go from my time in the military. So, yeah. Uh, and I, we've been doing that for years. I can't tell you how many shows we've played that were like, you know, big outdoor things or whatever. And we, yeah, we would just crash in the van or we used to have a, a smaller camper. Now we've got a bigger camper, but we used to have a smaller camper. We used to pull with the green fuzz all the time and my old red second gen ford i had before that and yeah we would we we would crash in that camper or crash in the van all the time after playing a show you know you don't want to get all loaded up drinking and then go hit the road but uh man you got a van you got a place to sleep it off yeah exactly and uh i remember you know you're talking about you know passing the imaginary lines and how different you know so much of you know of uh different states are in, in our in our country just you know a lot of people, it feels, I, I feel like are just, they, they don't travel and, and they think that this is it, you know, and they stay in their bubble and they think that's how the rest of the world is supposed to be, you yeah. know, and I had the pleasure of uh, getting connected with a veterans group a few years back that uh, called Higher Ground out in Idaho and they fly out veterans with PTSD and they do like recreational therapy with you. We camped, we went horseback riding up in the Sawtooth Mountains, camped out for a week and we're fly fishing. And, you know, making our own food, drinking, um, you know, water straight out of the mountain spring, you know, it was amazing. So I connected with the guy over there that owns a hyperbaric uh, chamber facility and he gives veterans free treatments in that too. You just got to supply your own, you just got to pay for your own travel and supply your own food and he, he lets you stay in his uh, loft there. Oh, so cool. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this then. And I brought my daughters and we drove cross country and seems like as soon as you get past like Chicago, man, it's a whole new America, you know? Yeah, that's for and, sure. And uh, it was beautiful, man. We would stop at different little locations. Like I would look up like weird, like I tried, I didn't like doing like the full days driving, you know, all the time. So I'd like break it up in like four hour increments and then we would stay the night here and then four hours the next day driving, stay the night there or whatever. And I think we went to the, like the Stonehenge of cars or whatever. I forget what state that was in. You know, oh, in Texas with the cat, the Cadillac ranch. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We stopped at all these like weird, you know, weird locations and did all, you know, just experience things, you know, and it was awesome. And we were out in Idaho for like a month and hmm. it was just, you know, kids were holding the doors open for you. It was like bizarre world, you know, there, yeah. no litter. People are cleaning <laughs> up after themselves, no graffiti. You I'm know. with you completely on that. I mean, you know, being from Ohio, like we are, Idaho is really far away. And I always just pictured Idaho and potatoes. I really yeah. never gave Idaho a second thought. And right before COVID, uh, we had a hit, uh, a couple of hit songs on satellite radio on uh, Sirius XM. And Little Steven's Underground Garage put us on tour. And we uh, we had we played a show in Idaho. And rolling into there, rolling into that place, and it was way up in the hills, way up in the mountains. It was one of the most beautiful states I've ever seen. Like you said, the, you know, yep. the, the water coming out of the mountains and the, it's just so clear and everything's so clean and the people were so friendly. 
Yeah, it was just it was just I, I can't I, I can't wait to to go back. I, I want a vacation there and 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 spend more time because it was kind of a drag. You know, we had to roll in, play a show, spend the night and then hit the road and be you know in Vegas by the next evening. So it was like a, it wasn't like I got to spend a ton of time, but it was so far up into the mountains that it was like 5000 feet above sea level. And it was just getting up there with the tour with the tour bus was it was just so beautiful looking out the windows and seeing just how, just a, what a beautiful state that is. Oh yeah. Well, it sure. really it's like, blew me away. I had no idea. Yeah. My daughter want, has been like, you know, wanting to go back. So we're going to try and plan something here probably next summer, make That's it back cool. out there. Cause I still got some connections and friends out there, but it was, uh, you know, we stayed there for a month and on the way back home, we went through Yellowstone. We saw Old faithful and we stopped at, um mount rushmore and stuff and saw awesome. the crazy horse um uh monument and stuff too and it was just it was it was amazing man you know it was just like there's there's a whole nother you know world out there and you know if we just sit there and stay in our little bubble and just watch the tv we'll believe like oh this this country's <laughs> you know going to hell or whatever but yeah. no nah, man it's a lot well, of seven, seven dollar gallon diesel definitely keep you sitting home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I'm waiting for these fuel prices to come back down because nothing I have gets good gas mileage. <laughs> no. Oh, is, are the vans down. diesel and everything too? Uh my wife's got a, a Quigley, a big four by four Quigley van uh Ford, an E an E350 that she's actually getting ready to sell because we're gonna build another van. But uh yeah, I I I've taken that uh when I'm pulling a big trailer or pulling a car trailer and um, you know, it gets decent mileage, but man, diesel's just wicked expensive. I drove down to San Antonio to visit my oldest daughter who's stationed down there with her husband. And um, I was taking her, uh, she's got a, a 71 Maverick grabber. It's like a full, it's a really, really nice muscle car. And it's, it's built up quite a bit that we restored a few years back. And I had been storing it for her because she lost her storage down in Texas and she didn't want the sun to ruin the car. Well, now she bought a house and she's got a garage. So I was like, Hey, I'll come down and visit. I'll bring you your car. And this was when diesel was like five, something a gallon. I went down there uh, like earlier this year and I, I spent like $1,800 in fuel just to get down to, just to get down to San Antonio and back. Like it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, so it's, yeah, like it's, it's tough traveling right now. Everything's just pretty expensive. Yeah, they're finding one way or the other to put a damper in any of our travel plans. But yet, you know, they can jump in their private jets and go talk about saving the climate, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there no that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what kind of goals you got going forward then? Goals going forward. Um, you know, I'm looking really looking forward to getting the band back out. That's definitely like a good release. Um, it's like something that really feels feels good when you do it i don't know like you know how you it's just uh brings me a lot of brings me a lot of uh happiness i enjoy uh i enjoy creating music and you know my wife and i wrote you know most of the songs in our band are are, are either her or me and we'll be right together a lot so it's kind of something cool that we you know get to do um as a couple and so we've been you know getting back into that again and uh, you know once we're back out to playing again that's definitely going to feel awesome because our last live indoor show was at the Beachland in January of 2020, right before COVID popped off. So it's going to feel good to get back out and, you know, get in front of a crowd again. Um, as far as that goes, uh, anything else? Um, uh, 
my wife's retiring next year from her or for this year from her teaching job. So this is her last year teaching and then she'll be a retired teacher. So hopefully that's going to allow us more time to travel and go see some more of those places, like go back to Idaho and definitely uh, see some more states that we haven't uh, haven't been in yet. Yeah, get to actually spend more time, you know, so. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Nice. So um, we've been talking for like an hour, almost an hour here. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions I normally ask uh, guests that I have on real mm -hmm. quick before we get ready to wrap up. But uh, being a big music guy, who who would you say are your top three musical artists? Oh, geez. <laughs> top three musical artists. Mm. Boy, that's a tough one. Um, all right, you're going to laugh because they're so different from one another. And there's probably a lot of music people that would that are going to roll their eyes at this. But um, uh, my top three are Steppenwolf, Deep Purple and the Beastie Boys. Nice. <laughs> Left John on out, but. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they're basically a cover band. <laughs> and then um, here's a question you might, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy. What class do you feel should be mandatory before graduating high school today? Um, well, they have history, but they sure don't seem to be teaching it. Mm -hmm. um, I remember sitting down with both my daughters with that uh, ASVAB for Dummies book just going over things and it blew me away how much just common knowledge history, especially about this country that either these kids weren't taught or they somehow didn't retain. And that was a little unsettling to me. So I, I, I almost, I, I actually sat down and started going over history that they should have been taught while we were working on getting ready for them to take their ASVAB tests. And yeah, that I wish, but they do teach history. It just, I just don't feel they're teaching it enough. I, it seems I, like they're changing it as they go too, or, or erasing it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, it, I agree. I agree with you there. I'm, I know there's a, I know there's some agendas behind what's being taught and it's, you know, being married to a teacher, it's not coming from the teachers. It's stuff that's handed down to them that they're told to do more, a lot more often than not. But, yeah. um, the uh but I, I would say uh i would say uh, if they couldn't make history a little bit more thorough um i think personal finance is something that really gets overlooked and you know I, i'm fortunate both my daughters seem to have their heads screwed on and we you know talked about this stuff over the years but um you know a lot of a lot of people a lot of younger people that i know where they're just it seems like they're they're coming into the world without a without a clue as to as to uh they don't even know how to how to you know create a, a credit score and it's sort of you know it seems like there's something there that, that maybe you know balancing a checkbook and that kind of thing and and being able to set yourself up so that you if you're going to pick a, a career if you're going to pick a direction if you're going to go to college or if you're going to learn a trade um and i highly 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 encourage people to push their kids to to learn a trade in today's uh world um there, it just seems like there's a. It just seems like they uh, they need to have a plan early on so that they're you know so that they have a, a, a net and they have a savings and they have something that they can um, that they can rely on if uh, 
you know, something, you know, something bad happens in the world um, where all of a sudden they, they need to, they need to rely on, on them, on themselves. Um, and, you know, same thing goes with, with, unfortunately, the, the, the trades there's, you know, we used to have so many trades that they taught in school that they don't do now. And now, I mean, I know so many guys with body shops that can't find painters. I know so many uh, guys with, with, with plumbing and, and, and electrical companies that, that can't get people to even come in as, as apprentices. And it's, there's a huge, huge shortage of young people wanting to get into the trades. And, the, you know, the, the, the years when we were in school, you know, there was a whole lot of stuff that taught you that. And now it seems like they've pulled a lot of it away. And it's, I don't, it's just not every kid is cut out for college. Yeah, I agree. And then um, who are three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making you the person you are today? Hmm. I would have to say um, I'd be my, uh, my parents and my uh, grandfather. Nice. Heavy influence in, in my family for sure. And then um, favorite toy as a child. <laughs> my favorite cho- toy as a child. Um, would have to be, uh, what were those things called? It was like, I think they were called SSTs. It was a, it was like a, it was like a, like a, like a one twenty fourth scale car that had like a big rubber wheel in the middle. And you took a, you took a T stick with teeth on it and you put it through a little square on the roof and you pulled it. And there was one uh, called the smash up, smash up derby. Yeah. where it was like two cars and they, and when they had a they had a mechanism in them where if you hit the bumper the doors would fly off and the hoods and the tires would fly off and you get it came with two ramps my gosh man i wore out like three of those things i just i was forever uh ripping cars across the kitchen floor hitting ramps and jumping stuff you know nice it's awesome and then um you know we talked a little bit about our our service and, and then your, your, your daughters and stuff. Do you have any message for the, our military brothers and sisters that are currently serving overseas? Message for our people are currently serving overseas. Oh. Stay safe. We have the utmost respect for what you're doing. Nice. Man. Well, Hey, Kevin, it's been great catching up with you and, uh, getting to hear your story i told you we'd get get you got something to share you know well i tell you this is it's you know it's sort of weird talking about yourself and answering questions about yourself i say that's kind of a first but but thank you bill i appreciate it and uh um you know hopefully we don't i didn't bore everybody to death no man it's it's all good stuff man it was great and you know i I, it was good for me to get get to know more of you and like when you guys get out and start playing man again i'm definitely gonna make a show and uh we'll catch up man for sure um for people that um you know may be interested in uh you know um i don't know if i forget does green fuzz have its own like social media or does uh you know or, or if anybody's interested in ordering some of your uh tiki's or wood carverings and stuff where would you send them so if you want to, if you want to look at the green fuzz, all you have to do is hashtag the uh, hashtag green fuzz or green fuzz van. And you'll find, you'll find me, uh, my band's called 45 spider and my art name is mortified. So my Instagram is mortified 45 spider. So it's um, I've got band stuff on there, art stuff on there, but as far as like my wood carvings and, and that kind of stuff, my business uh, Instagram is uh, house of Moonglow. 
Nice. And um, that's that's tiki's and that's I probably got some videos for a while there. I I uh, I carve a tiki with a chainsaw and then back up a '50s car that has flamethrowers on it and then cook the thing in the flames. It's kind of a wild live show that I do. So there's some videos and stuff floating around with that. Awesome, kind of man. To check those out. Well, and hey, you can Kevin. Find 45, and you can find 45 Spider on Bandcamp and all that fun stuff, you know, download our music or watch our videos or whatever. Sounds good, man. Hey, Kevin, it was great talking with you, buddy. Good great talking to you, too. And uh, uh, we'll be in touch. You take care. <laughs> you, too.
W Story, brought to you by Today's Boondoggle. Now you're flying in. Good, how are you? Good, good. Yeah, yeah. Your flight was delayed at Hopkins? Did you ride your bike in? Flight was delayed at Hopkins, huh? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I left at 5 o'clock. Yeah? Yesterday. That 480 is terrible. Yeah, yesterday. It's prime time of... Get, getting screwed up, you know. How we doing? I'm okay. Did you run in here? He ran here from Hopkins. <laughs> the freeway's blocked up. Grab that uh, chair over there. Hey. Sit down, man. That's him. This carpenter? The one, the only. What do you want to drink? Go to one and kick one out. We're telling sea stories here. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. I mean, we're all studying for the ASVAB. We're thinking about going back. It's <laughs> <laughs> cram session. And thank you for listening to another story time from the VFW Hall, brought to you by Today's Boondogger. For listening once again to today's boondoggle radio show please be sure to check out our website domaincle.com or today's boondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives follow us on social media at today's boondoggle on facebook instagram youtube and twitter for more information about this podcast and please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via today's boondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening.
Thank you for tuning into this week's Today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's Boondoggle.